like if I just, you know, ha- handed it out to people for a dollar, um, you know, those people would be like, ah, I only paid a dollar for this. Let's see what this is about. They'd play it for a few minutes and like not get it. And it'd be like hard and brutal and confusing. And they'd be like, ah, uh, I don't have any more time for this, I, you know, because they didn't have very much invested in it. And I've seen that, you know, in my game inside of Starfield Sky, which doesn't take a week, but it takes at least an hour to sort of get into like what's really cool about it. You might know game developer Jason Rohr from uh, games like Passage, Inside of Starfield Sky, Sleep is Death, uh, and his brand new game, The Castle Doctrine, uh, is coming out pretty soon. Uh, He's been chatting it up in the press and on his website and running some, let's call it, interesting promotions uh, for the upcoming game. Uh, But something he talked about last week was an essay in which he argued that uh, Steam sales and sort of the culture of video game sales, constant video game sales, is actually bad for players. Uh, He makes the argument that uh, people that pay more up front shouldn't be punished just because they wanted to get in on the ground floor of the game. Uh, So the Castle Doctrine will, as a result, have no sales. Uh, I spent a long time talking with Jason about this argument and trying to learn a bit more about how he came to those conclusions. Uh, I recommend reading his essay on the Castle Doctrine website, Uh, and uh, then listening to our whole conversation, which you're going to listen to right now. But, you know, you you wrote this big sort of, you know, I guess, you know, essay, I guess, you know, sort of breaking down your decision about uh, with the Castle Doctrine to, you know, have a sale uh, up until the launch and then a small sale during the first week and then no sales after that. And and it seemed like the essay was uh, just as much about explaining your thought process on this um, as much as it was about making, you know, the news about it, saying like this is what it's going to be. But I also want to lead everyone into how I got there and why this is important. Uh, you know, maybe not for everyone, but for my game and right, what right. It means. Um, yeah, and you know, I don't know. Um, it clearly, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, got people talking. I guess. Um, so I, I think that this is an idea that is not, you know, it's not just my like kind of lone idea that I came up with here. I think it's it's sort of a sentiment of the times, right? As like, if you if you look, you know, I was just doing kind of research as I was writing this thing, and there's all these people, who, like journalists and different people, who are posting their like post holiday holiday sale shame list, which is like, look at this list of like 40 games that I bought over the past two weeks, and I'll probably never play them. Like, isn't this awful, right? And there's these people <laughs> who are posting pie graphs showing what percentage of the library they haven't played. Um, you know, some people own like a thousand games and have only played like 50 of them or whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, like uh, the, the concept of a backlog has always existed, but you know, a backlog has always, you know, been like, a, a, you know, someone takes a picture of a stack of like, you know, maybe ten or fifteen games that you've picked up or accrued or just put down for some sort of reason. But that number has exponentially increased hugely um, since we've kind of moved into this sales culture that you talked about. Right, right. And so, you know, I was just I, right before this uh, this interview, I just like quickly pulled up my like web stats, right. And like yesterday, 10,000 people, you know, came to read that article, right, that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I haven't had 10,000 people visit the Castle Doctor website <laughs> you know, th- since, since the game launched back in March, right? So this is like, 
something about and I, you know I've written lots of um, you know different essays about different things. I mean, the Castle Doctrine has been a pretty controversial game. I mean, mm-hmm. compared to anything else that I've done, because it deals with kind of a hot button issue, um, and you know some of my stances on it, you know, differ with you know people's opinions, right? Some people are very angry at me about it or whatever. Um, you know, so I've written articles explaining you know when my family was attacked or articles explaining you know why you can't play a woman in the game or articles explaining this and that right and and each of those things you know was sort of a topic of conversation and and I can look at my graph and see these blips along the way oh yeah that's when I published that article about the dogs in New Mexico or oh yeah that's when I did this it's kind but of they're all sales. insignificant <laughs> compared to compared to like what happened yesterday it's just like <laughs> so uh, the point is that I think that um you know there's a rush, right? There's a rush uh, among game de- game developers. All of my friends that I know who are like multimillionaires, they made like more than half of their money in in sale in these Steam sales. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a sort of over the past couple of years, I've just been hearing all these stories from people just like, oh yeah, you know, the sales are where you're going to make your money, man. I mean, like, you know, mid I did a midweek madness and that like doubled my money right there. <laughs> you know, that just I, sounds I, like then I was deal you- of the day a few weeks later and oh man, you know, then again, I doubled, you know, it's just like, and they just kind of act like, you know, this is just the way it is. And this is amazing that, you know, and if you, if you stop and ask one of them, well, you know, you realize that probably most of those people who bought it, you know, when it was midweek madness or whatever, don't actually play it. And they kind of shrug and be like, yeah, okay, who cares as long as I get their money, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is not, not uh, an unreasonable so, so I just kind of feel like there's sort of a rush, right? Like just like we were rushing to the bottom of pricing in the App Store like back in 2008 or whatever, um, where we were all rushing toward 99 cents. And when you, once you hit 99 cents, there's not really anywhere left, left to go. Um, people like the discounts are beginning bigger. Um, and, you know, I used to put my game inside of Starfield Sky uh, up for a discount of like 40% off but that's not that's not enough anymore right <laughs> like people are discounting the things for at least 50 often 75 now 80 i've seen 90 percent discounts right where you you know buying some game for you know less than a dollar or something yeah and I, I think this touches upon something that i've kind of felt when i've talked to different developers is is you know and you kind of put a name on it is you know sort of the sales culture of what we're you know, it's not just Steam. You know, I think uh, you also hear this on uh, the PlayStation platforms with Sony's PlayStation Plus uh, initiative, where you know people pay a subscription fee, and then every month they're they're given access to uh, a set of games that aren't free, but they're part of uh, the subscription, and you know the developer is subsidized a certain amount for I, I think every download, but it's certainly not what they make. Uh, it's if, like the if, Netflix model, almost. Yeah, yeah. Like you're you're paying for every user that says I want access to that. I think they get you know a certain percentage from Sony. I don't have the exact breakdown in front of me, but I I think the theory is that it works a little bit like that. And what this has done is that games come along that people find potentially interesting that they might want to play, but they know because they've been trained properly. And I don't blame the consumer so much in this. Is that they know they can just wait a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And they can get it for a fraction of the price, along with a, a bunch of other games they can get for a fraction of the price. And then they get this big backlog, and they probably don't touch any of those games. But they have been trained habitually to wait for these sales. And I think it's created this very dangerous period, I think, for the launch of a game. And even more so uh, for a game that is multiplayer-centric, where you are relying on other players. And that the sales culture is really challenging for games that need other players in order for them to operate as designed. Right, right. I mean, I guess I also sort of, I mean, a lot of people use the term trained, right? <laughs> uh, which which kind of, um, yeah, there's something kind of, 
having any of these kinds of discussions about about marketing and and should you price your game at one dollar or ninety nine cents or should it be nine ninety nine or ten dollars? You know all these sort of psychological tricks that marketers have learned over the years, like raise have the price high so you can discount it later. You know all these kinds of things because of psychology, right? Right. I mean they always. I feel a little slimy, kind of, kind of dealing with it and thinking at these terms, uh, and I especially feel, you know, a little slimy <laughs> thinking about how we've trained our customers, right? Well, I mean, yeah, like I mean, as you, if you can use the as term if they're ex- seals or something that are just clapping their fl- fins together and throwing money at us. Ex- expectation, I guess, you know, is the less slimy way of, of putting <laughs> that. You know, people expect there's going to be sales, and like, you know, that in in that way, you know, you can almost say it's a reverse psychology of like. Uh, Consumers expect that developers are going to put their game on sale, so why should they pay full price? Like, right, there's not right. a great incentive for, uh, you know, g- players right now to pay full price because what do they get out of it? Like, all they get out of it is that they're paying more, and that's what I thought was really interesting about you breaking down the Minecraft idea, which you know, Minecraft from the inception sort of flipped the idea of how you sell games on its head. And although the alpha model is the one that's kind of taken off, you know, you've got early access and all these other things. Um, the pricing model, I think, is actually way more interesting in the long term of how, as you pointed out, it started cheap or cheaper uh, and then became more expensive as the game, you know, became a more complete experience. Right, right. Um, but yeah, even if even if you're not talking about a game that's becoming a more complete experience, I mean, you know, because back back when I played Minecraft in the in sort of the relatively early days, you know, back when it was like Notch and maybe a few other people working on it, um, it was it was a pretty complete experience, right? And and he had all these grand plans of how there was going to be quests and there was going to be this and there was going to be that. But, you know, there was already like all these different things you could craft. There was this world that's eight times the surface area of the earth. There was the nether. Um, you know, back when I was playing it, there weren't um, non-player character villages yet. That was something I saw get added, right? But so, so you could say like this game is not complete. He has all these grand plans. But at the same time, it was a very, very solid um, experience that, you know, I sunk like couple of weeks into right um at the time when i played it um so so even if you're not talking about a game that's getting kind of extended and finished and and kind of in the alpha testing model or alpha beta you know release model um the 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 ever rising price kind of thing it's interesting because it it has like sort of a yeah it's just because of it, it has a different psychological effect and a different implication on the audience and in a, in, a, in a different sort of meaning to people right um, and and because of the openness you can have around it, right? You can you can announce the schedule ahead of time and 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 be fine. If you announce a sales schedule, like you know, like in October it'll go on sale for half price, <laughs> and in November later on that month it'll go on sale for twenty five percent off, and you have that whole plan laid out to people. You know, you just can't do that, right? Because no one's going to buy it in the October sale if they know it's going even deeper discounted in November, right? Uh, and and you know we're supposed to keep our discounts uh, and, you know, the forthcoming sales kind of secret. We're not allowed to announce them, um, uh, you know, to people until until it's officially announced, right? Um, and that's for a reason, right? Because you don't want, you know, what people to know uh, and be able to be able to be able to plan for it. So therefore, it's always a surprise. Um, and, and, you know, like I say in my, in my essay, you know, <laughs> surprise means that some people are getting burned, right? Because the person who bought it at midnight by accident Right before it went on sale at 1 a.m., <laughs> uh, you know, really feels like they should have waited an hour, right? Yeah. Um, so, and, it, and it's, I, it's, I, you know, back when I went and I had this experience firsthand with 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 Sleep Is Death. It came out. I can't remember at some fixed price, and then 
you know, like a month later or something, I decided to try a name your price kind of thing for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and some people felt kind of burned by that, right? Like, Hey, you know, ah, you know, I, I, I paid $12 for this and now all of a sudden it's name your price. I just paid $12 yesterday. Um, I didn't know you were going to do this this soon. And then, uh, you know, and, 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 and some people say, well, if, if somebody, you know, is upset about that, then they're not your true fan anyway. But this person's argument was like, I only have like $12 in my bank account and I just spent it on your game. <laughs> and I, I won't be able to buy another game because I don't, yeah. I mean, some of these people are kids, they get allowance or they have like a birthday present that they get $25 from their grandma or something, right? Right. Um, you know, so, so the idea that we're all just like, you know, sitting around with lots of disposable income and, and that these decisions are, are completely, you know, sort of like, it's like, we're, it's a game we're all playing with money is not true for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people, you know, really have to think very hard about what game they spend their money on and so on. Yeah, and so, I think, I think you know, any of those people who feel screwed, it's a really big deal for them. Right. Uh, and, and, and I, I think, think I did end up giving the person, he's like, you know, now that I see this, name your price, I would pay $3 for it. <laughs> you know, can I have, can I have $9 back? <laughs> and you uh, money and back? yeah, I gave him his $9 back. Oh man, that's a great, that's a great anecdote. Um, and I think it's interesting what you're you're talking about. You know, I think the, the the title of your essay is important when you say why rampant sales are bad for players. Because when I've floated this idea that the sales culture has uh, is 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 problematic for all sorts of reasons, you know, some of the response I get from uh, readers of a giant bomb is like, well, why is that my problem? Like, I'm I'm you know I'm just trying to save myself some money so I can buy more games. And and I and I. I understand that argument, and I think there's there's a lot to be to be said for that. But I think it's interesting that the way you phrase it of like, well, yeah, but you're you know disrespecting potentially later players by the way that the the sales culture uh, plays out, and that it's actually bad for them in the long term, not just necessarily bad for developers who are trying to you know establish a reliable long tail for for a game. Right, and you know a lot of people say um, you know oh it's just. Anybody, any developer who's complaining about sales is just being greedy because, you know, they don't want to give anybody a discount. They just want to get their game sold to people at full price only and, like, you know, take as much money as possible from people. Um, and, and there's this – I wasn't really aware of it when I wrote, wrote my essay, but I guess there was some <laughs> something that EA said about their origin system, you know, how they weren't going to stoop to the level of Valve or something and put everything on sale. Um, what I, I don't know what they said. This no, was I know, I know, yeah. or something, and and uh, and and that they they were that it was you know the Valve was devaluing IP and all this, um, but yeah, I I don't I don't really I'm not really thinking about it in those terms. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily clear. Like we we don't we can't we can't we can't answer that question because all we're we're living in the current world that we're living in. We we can't really see what would happen in this alternate possible world where nothing was ever on sale and people weren't used to a culture of sales in terms of total revenue for developers, right? Right. Um uh so we we really don't know, but you know, anybody when a player comes along and and does a shame list where they have like 300 games in their library of which they've only played 30. Um you know, so they've got 90% of the things that they've spent money on. Um, that they are not using and they may never use, right? That's bad for players. <laughs> they wasted their money. <laughs> like, so we are effectively, and, and people say, well, they don't need to be babysat. They're adults or, 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 or you know, people who can make their own choices. You know, we, we don't need to hold their hands as developers and make sure they don't make bad choices. But at the same time, if like me as a developer is, you know, being turned from a millionaire into a multimillionaire 
by effectively tricking like, a bunch of people into wasting money on something they'll never use. Like I personally don't feel good about that, right? I think that's, you know, I, I don't think that's good for those people. Um, and you know, I don't necessarily think it's McDonald's job to make sure that we all eat healthy. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to be running a fast food restaurant myself, right? <laughs> right, and it, it seems like you're trying to find uh, with this sort of, you know, you know, it's 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 a fine line to find, but that you're, you're trying to find straddle the line between you want to make money, you know, you want to sustain yourself, you want to be an independent developer, and continue to make what you want to make, but you want to make sure that you know, they aren't empty sales, like, you know, in, in the same way there are empty calories, where it's like people are purchasing your game, but if they're not getting anything out of it, then, you know, what was the point of making it to begin with? Was it purely just to make money? And that's not to say that developers that are participating in sales are greedy. I'm not making that implication, but you seem to be looking for rewarding the players that do want to play your game, um, you know, by, you know, they're kind of like, you know, as you put it, like in on a secret early um, but also these are actual players. These are people that are buying the game to play the game uh, and enjoy the thing that, you know, you've spent a couple of years putting together. Right, right. And that's that's another thing that's I, I don't even know if I, I touched on it in, in the uh, in the essay. But, um, you know, the more that somebody invests in terms of how much they pay for your game or what they had to do in order to play it, um, you know, the more time they give it, the more chance they give it, the the more kind of time investment they will give it before they sort of like decide whether to keep playing or whether to cast it aside. Um, and you know, this is this is true even for free games, right? So like back when I was making free games like Passage and Gravitation, the fact that it was a downloadable game that you had to go and download and spend like you know a minute waiting for it to download, and that you had to launch it like from your desktop and like unzip it and then like and then it would take over your whole screen there was a, b- a big enough investment there where you would probably stick through it for five like passage was five minutes long um you had invested enough you had invested like you know at least three minutes getting the thing and, and getting it running right <laughs> right um and so you're kind of like ah, i'm gonna at least see what this thing is about whereas if it had been like a flash game that you just like surf to like kind of accidentally on congregate or something mm-hmm. and you kind of like wandered around in a maze for a minute and didn't see the point you'd be like ah click something else <laughs> um and and so that's for five minute games or like eight minute games like gravitation um but you know in the case of like these kind of bigger games like the castle doctrine literally i think it takes at least a week of kind of like pretty consistent play to sort of really figure it out and really get to the point where you like understand it well enough and are good enough at it that you actually see sort of the emotional payload that's there and so on see what what makes it tick for a dollar um you know those people would be like "Ah, i only played a dollar for this let's see what this is about they'd play it for a few minutes and like not get it and it'd be like hard and brutal and confusing and they'd be like ah i don't have any more time for this you know because they didn't have very much invested in it and i've seen that you know in my game inside of starfield sky which doesn't take a week, but it takes at least an hour to sort of get into like what's really cool about it. Um, you know, people who are giving it negative reviews, like on the store page, now Steam has those store reviews, mm-hmm. like thumbs up, thumbs down. You can see how many hours the person played the game. And every single person who's giving it a negative review played it for less than an hour, which means they didn't even get through the tutorial to the part where the cool stuff is explaining, <laughs> right? So, so, um, so yeah, I think that that's a, and, and then, you know, but people who paid, you know, full price for it, or bought it for twelve dollars or eight dollars or whatever the full price was at the time that they bought it. You know, gave it a chance, right? And some of them played it for like hundreds of hours. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really think that that if you want to make a more subtle game, you want to make a game that's not necessarily going to like kind of beat you over the head with like what's cool about it right in the first screen. You want to make a game that kind of takes longer and like kind of lingers more and is more about sort of this long term kind of experience. 
um, then uh, yeah, pricing pricing the game higher really uh, will will help you have almost all the players who come in, you know, be willing kind of to get to that point, right? I mean, I mean that sounds pretty similar to you know when you're when you're a kid and you know you get you know like when I own like a you know a SNES and you get the one game for Christmas you know that you get to put in that SNES and you might have put on the list. Super Mario Brothers, that's the game you want, but instead you got, you know, you got something else that wasn't very good. And in in that case, you know, you know, you don't have the money to to buy another game, but you've got this game in front of you, so you put the time into it and then you look back 20 years later, you're like, "Why did I play that awful game for 150 hours?" And, you know, I, I think there's a similar sort of uh No, psych- no, no, no. Hold on a minute. Sometimes <laughs> like you know, sometimes maybe that game was an awful game, but maybe not. You know, maybe it was Rygar or something. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and maybe it had all sorts of weird, like strange things, and like a whole culture to discover inside there that you would have never given at the time of day, right? Or, Otherwise. or maybe it was Last Action Hero based on a bad Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> movie. And well, maybe, maybe your parents <laughs> didn't know what games to get you, man. Exactly. Well, I'm just, you know, I think I think there's a similar sort of feeling going on there. It's like you can either not play a video game. Or you can play the one that's in front of you and try and get something out of it. And I think that's there's a, a, fi- a similar idea going on here where it's like, all right, I just spent my $12. I could be upset that I spent my $12. Or, uh, you know, when you get into it, uh, try and see what you can get out of it. You know, it's it's when you do have that investment or the, the, the inability to invest in something else that you're more willing to extract something you know, this in front of you. Um, and, right, and right. And, 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 you know, and we, we got to be careful here. I mean, it's not about... Um, you know, trying to get somebody to, uh, you know, find the, find the beauty in some game that's really not not good, right? Right. It's about us as developers having the freedom to make something that is really, really good in a way that people are not necessarily expecting, that, you know, defies, defies their expectations, defies what they're used to from a game, uh, works in a totally different way from a game that they played before. Like, you sit down at the Castle Doctrine, and it is totally different from i mean nothing like it has existed before right so you're like okay it looks like a building sim i'm like placing tiles in my house and kind of wandering around here and then like oh my god i just died and just lost what i built <laughs> like what is going on here this is crazy it's like like making some silly mistake in sim city and all of a sudden your whole city's gone <laughs> right so but you'll figure out you'll figure out why that happens and why the game works that way you know, after you play it a little bit more, right? You have that experience and it's like pretty jarring. Um, but that jarring experience is like, you know, part of the aesthetic payload of the game, right? Um, that, you know, everything is fragile in this game. Things can be lost. You know, nothing is permanent. There's like permanent, con- there's permanent consequences to everything that you do and every move that you make, right? Which most games don't have, right? And so it's like, I want to be able to make a game that's like that. I want to be able to just kind of, you know, push people and, you know, kind of expand their horizons and, and take a player and throw them into this thing that's like, you know, almost like totally beguiling to them and let them kind of figure it out. And after they figure out and see how it works, their, their kind of mind has changed and, and the way they think about things has changed a little bit. Um, but that's that's a sort of very risky thing to do as uh, a game developer who's also, you know, asking, who's also sort of trying to make this somewhat commercial product that, you know, a certain number of people are going to, you know, find enough value in to, to pay money for. Um, and so... You know, when you're making that kind of game, you've got to be careful about you know who 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 you who you convince to buy it, really. Right. Um, you know, and so I mean, you know, Braid is a game where like some of the really, 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 really cool stuff doesn't happen until the very end, right? I mean, the stuff that's actually going to blow your mind and be like, oh my god! <laughs> I mean, it really, only happens at the end. 
So, uh, you know, and there's some pretty mind-blowing stuff leading up to that. But, you know, the first level is just kind of like a very boring platformer for quite a while, for, for at least five minutes or something, right? Um, so, so, you know, since you published this, like you mentioned that, you know, you had, you know, like 10,000 people come to your blog. I, m- I imagine you have a lot of different sort of responses and opinions that you're sifting through. Like, what... Have you? What has been the difference between sort of the general reaction from maybe some of your developer friends and from players that that have looked at this and then you know sort of tracked you down to to give you some feedback? Like what what are some trends you've noticed from how people have responded to the idea you're presenting? Right, right. So like, I mean, the the standard response from like the journalist set, right, is like. Oh yeah, good point. I've been noticing this too, kind of thing, right? Um, <laughs> like here, I just published my shame list. You know, <laughs> like I didn't even know shame list was a thing until I sat down and started doing research when I was about to write this, right? Like this shame list, <laughs> like this is this is a phenomenon. Okay, so so a lot of people and and developers also kind of like have some misgivings about this now. I mean, like I said, like a lot of my friends have made a lot of money um, through sales, um, but I think we're kind of like. Uh, it's kind of wearing thin or something, right? It's like, how oh, we, we're still doing this year after year, five sales a year, and like the discounts are getting deeper and deeper. And, you know, so, so I think a lot of people, you know, have like kind of agreed with me f- from those two sets. And then, and then, you know, among the players, I don't know, I guess I, I sort of see a lot of people saying, well, too bad, dude, because I only, I, I never pay full price for anything. I've seen tons of people <laughs> say that. So basically, I'm not going to buy your game. Because I never pay full price for anything. That's just what I do, um, and and which just kind of reinforces my point, right? <laughs> that we 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 built up like a culture where there's a bunch of people around who have learned that they should never pay full price for anything. Not necessarily because they can't afford it or whatever, just because you know they know it's coming, right? They know that that they don't have to, um, and uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, it's not like I haven't really seen. I mean, I guess I've seen some people saying, well, duh, if sales didn't work to bring developers more money, then developers wouldn't be doing that. Like, we're clearly marching toward a culture of sales because that is the optimal, like markets discover the optimal, uh, you know, way to bring in more money out of a given number of resources. Um, But even that point, um, which has been argued with all sorts of reports that Valve has given about whether players still buy things at full price and this and that, even that point doesn't necessarily ring true because um you know ru- these kind of rushes uh that you know kind of get caught in people's minds like developers are kind of on the sales rush right now just like we used to be on a rush to the bottom in the app store pricing and so on um and the rush to make free-to-play games on facebook and the rush to do you know whatever came after that um they distort markets right markets don't behave optimally when people have you know false false conceptions in their minds and are all kind of rushing out to California to like dig gold out of the hills. That's not the best use of their time actually toward the end of the gold rush. Um, that's why it's called a rush. And so, um, you know, we may have kind of crossed the point where at some point, you know, if it's true that bigger and bigger sales bring you more and more money, obviously that eventually hits bottom when you put your thing on sale for a hundred percent off, <laughs> you, you, you sell it to the largest number of possible people. It'd be crazy, but you'd get $0. Right? right, so somewhere above 100% off is like the crossover point where it starts becoming, you know, more and more harmful to discount your thing more and more. And we don't know where that crossover point really is because we don't, we don't, we're not doing the simulation where we simulate the world with and without the sales. And um, and so all you can do is put your thing on sale and see how well it's sold. And if you only put it on sale for 75% off and everyone around you is putting it on sale for 85% off, you're going to make less money at 75% off because you're 
not going to attract as much attention, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that, yeah, that, you know, that 85% off isn't below that cutoff point. Um, so, uh, so even that argument is kind of like, uh, <laughs> it's not necessarily optimal. We don't know. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, writing this essay, like it's, this is all sort of like, you know, a, a product of the moment. It's a moment in time. This is what seems to, you know, make sense to you for, for this game, for, for what you're trying to do and, you know, for what you're trying to sustain individually. But like, from from what you can tell, like, can you even imagine yourself doing a sale again? Like, are you able to make that big of a declarative statement, or is this purely sort of like right now for this game, for the sort of culture we're in, the trends I'm seeing, it just doesn't make sense? Right. Well, I mean, so I had, you know, I have a game on Steam inside of Starfield Sky, and for a while, as I described in the article, you know, I I just kept you know putting it on sale whenever whenever the sales came up, and I was making a substantial amount of money from doing that. Um, but then I kind of noticed that I had to keep putting the disc, I had to keep making the discount bigger and bigger, right. To keep attracting people to the game, um, given that everyone else was doing the same thing. And I just kind of, it just, I was busy working on the castle doctrine and it just kind of felt like the sales were just coming right around the corner. You know, it's just like, I was constantly having to like, you know, pick my next discount. Right. And it just got, I just kind of. Yeah, and and my sales in between in in between the in between the discounts, my sales had dropped off to like ridiculously low. Like Sleep is Death from years ago on my own website was bringing way more money than 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 my Steam sales. Um, you know, at this point, um, and so it's like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of got kind of soured on the whole idea of continuously putting this thing on sale. And so I, it was it was already sort of uh, I don't know. And I started saying, you know, Valve would email me asking if I wanted to put this on sale again. And I'd say, no, I just kind of said, no, not, you know, not this time. I'm not, I'm not going to do it now. Um, and so I kind of skipped all, like I skipped like the past four sales or something. Um, and I felt okay about that. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, it just feels like something I sort of woke up from and said, wait a minute, what was I really doing there? Like, did that even make sense? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess not. Um, and now I'm even, you know, now that I've read, like, you know, the guy who, um, Positech Games, who put out Democracy 3, um, and I think his launch price is something like $25, and, and his game has been out for like three months, and he has not put it on sale, um, you know, he chose not to even give a discount at launch, uh, and to sell his game for an extremely high price, right, compared to, like, you know, The Mining of Isaac or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering, oh, man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm underpricing my game. <laughs> you know, I, and I've had people tell me, you know, dude... You know, because I only have like about like you know five thousand fans or something, right? Which is a lot of fans for one person to have. It's it's pretty crazy. On the other hand, you know, if you look at someone like Edmund or Phil Fish or something, you know, um, yeah, they have like orders of magnitude more, <laughs> two orders of magnitude more fans than I have or something. <laughs> um, so, so uh, my stuff is obviously niche, and I've had some friends say, you know, dude, you should just do what other niche game developers do, which is like, you know, make a really a, ga- a game that your your core fans will really 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 love that'll be amazing for them and then sell it for like you know seventy dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's there's certainly an argument to be made there, and you actually you know it's almost in some ways these days uh, a statement to say I'm going to sell my game for a premium price because I believe it is worth this amount of money and I'm just going to stick to that and you know. I think there is, there's probably, you know, I don't have access to the data because I'm not, you know, a developer, but I have to imagine, you know, my gut feeling is that there are, there is evidence that developers who just say, look, my game is going to be $14.99, that's it, you know, and that there is a certain percentage of people, if you've developed a fan base, 
that just likes your stuff is almost willing to pay anything for the new thing and that what you would gain out of slashing that $14.99 to 80% wouldn't make up for what you would have just gotten from that core group of people that's willing to pay the premium for, you know, the the thing that you've made. Right, right. Yeah. And so, you know, it could be the case that I'm well below that crossover point already when I'm selling the Castle Doctrine for $8 that, you know, I got like, you know, 5,000 people who have paid to be in the alpha test. And that I would have gotten 5,000 people if the alpha, t- or, you know, maybe I would have only gotten 4,000 people if the alpha test, you know, cost $16. Um, and yeah, I attracted 1,000 more people, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I cut my revenue in half, right? Right. So I don't know where that crossover point is. And if you look at something like Prison Architect, you know, right, their alpha was like $35 or something. And they, you know, brought it. If you looked at the, they had a page where they were, had all these different rewards for different levels of pledging to join the alpha, kind of like running their own Kickstarter almost. Yeah. And so you could see how much money they had brought in because they had, you know, the, the amounts of people who, who had bought the game at different tiers. And, you know, they had brought in, you know, well over a million dollars, but they hadn't sold to that many people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, wow, you know, here's this, this game that's, you know, clearly going to have this niche audience. They made the price high. And uh, and it worked for them, right? It didn't like you know scare everybody away or something. Uh, and if they had made the price much lower, you know, it's a game about running a maximum security prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty dark. That, yeah, I mean, no, but yeah. it's also weird. I mean, you sit down exactly. at it and you're kind of like building walls and little guys are running around, right? And it you know takes a while to sort of you know get into like what's cool about it, what's funny about it, what's what's interesting about it. Um, and uh, you know, it's very very different from anything else that's out there. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't really felt this out completely yet. Um, you know, it was kind of scary saying the Castle Doctrine will be $16. You know, I, I said this to myself long ago when I said it's going to be $8 and 50% off at Alpha. Therefore, it'll be $16 at, you know, when it finally is at its final price. Back, you know, month, many months ago, it was kind of scary to kind of, should it only be $6 and then go up to $12? Should it be $5 and go up to $10? You're kind of racking, you know, because you don't know what, what effect this is going to have. Right. Um, and it's scary to make your price higher than everybody else. You know, like, you know, like the Castle Doctrine will be more than Fez. <laughs> right. The Castle Doctrine will be more than Braid, whatever it was. Or the Castle Doctrine, you know, will be more than Super Meat Boy. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it, it seems scary. But on the other hand, you know, it, it uh, very well may, may be the right thing to do. And maybe I'm even maybe even got it set too low. Do you, yeah, how do you do? You, is all of that just sort of a, a gut feeling? Like, do, are you like a, a big data guy when you like are trying to figure out what makes sense to price it at? Like, how much is trend based or how much is just this feels like a sixteen dollar game? Right. Well, I I don't you know have so so basically what you need to do to actually answer that question is do some sort of weird alpha beta testing, right? <laughs> and, and that's and within my power, right? I, I you know I am writing my own web scripts and stuff that present the sale the 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 page the store page essentially to people and so on. So I could I could A B test like sixteen dollars versus eight dollars and randomly give it each person who comes to the site a different price. Um, but you know I don't really, I don't really want to do that. It <laughs> seems um, like an extreme way to figure out that data. Yeah, yeah. So then you're kind of like comparing apples to oranges because you're like, well, look at my friend's game. My friend's game was at this price. You know, like Alexander Bruce's game, uh, Antichamber, you know, debuted at $15 for the first week and then went up to $20 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like 20%. I think it was, 
yeah, I don't know, uh, 25% off or something for the first week, and then $20. That's a pretty big price for an indie game, but his game is so different than mine. It's like this kind of like very kind of beautiful looking abstract 3D game that kind of matches people's understanding of first person shooters when they play it, you know. Um, so I don't know. You can't really compare that to the Castle Doctrine. And so, you know, I don't know. I can get sales numbers from some of these people, but I, I don't, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's really yeah. So it's it's really more just like yeah, going with this kind of gut of like, uh, well, people are gonna have a lifetime account and they get all the source code and they can run their own server and you know give the game to their friends to play on their own server, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. You know, that seems like you know, and they're gonna be playing for a long time because it's a deep game. Ah, uh, that seems like it's you know worth. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was also worried, like if you know, if it, if it, you know, if people, if most players play, play it very deeply and for a very long time, like that sixteen dollars on my end is going to run out pretty quick, right? Because right. I'm going to be maintaining this, these these servers forever, <laughs> and uh, and I'm not charging like a monthly fee. It's like this weird, like it's an MMO, but it's a flat rate fee that you pay once and then you play play forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, I'm like. Also, doing all these calculations, running all these numbers about how many players I can support at a given bandwidth level and all this. Um, so I do, I do crunch a lot of numbers, but I don't really have numbers to crunch when it comes to like picking a price. Right. Cool. Well, Jason, I really appreciate you getting uh, hopping on Skype to to chat with me about this. This is something I've been, you know, I think as you noticed in the reaction. So how long is your shame list? Well, I, mine doesn't really. I'm a, I have like a Steam Press account, so I have access to like 95% of what's on Steam at any given time. So I guess I could theoretically say my shame list is the entire Steam database, which is really, <laughs> which is really horrifying. But you know, I I'm actually I tend to not actually have uh, bad backlogs. Uh, I um, I'm pretty particular about what I pick up. I when I pick up a game, I finish it. Uh, I don't play more than two games at once because um, that's just that seems like what people. That seems how they get into trouble. Is you you know you pick up eight games, then you dabble in what eight of them for fifteen minutes, and you don't actually play any of them or appreciate anything any of those games have to offer. So, I try and avoid that um, by just habitually, if I start a game, uh, unless for some reason I you know dislike it and and don't want to continue with it, uh, I tend to stick with one or two, and then that fits enough in my free time that I'm I'm able to to really see what those games have to offer and and usually see them all the way through. Right. Right. All right. Well, good for you. <laughs> okay. So, other question, like what? Yeah. Um...